Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another week of Fantasy NBA Today. The count up to the season is at 15 days. Rocking a Shooter McGavin shirt to celebrate. Rocking a Dodgers hat because my my poor Dodgers need a little bit better fortune in game two. That was that was not fun for me. And today, we are once again diving into Yahoo's board. And I didn't know that we'd have to do it again this soon, but we do. Yahoo rearranged their pre-rank sheet yet again. Leaving the top of the board largely unchanged. But once you get into the 20s and 30s, things do start to shake up a little bit. Uh, first things first, please do find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. I am at that that point of the year where I'm just literally telling you now, you need to go find me on social media because things are about to pick up. It's about to get hot over on social media. We do so many things especially during the season, but I'd love to have you guys over there even now during the preseason, uh, but especially during the season, streaming boards, uh, replacement players, injury news, end-of-night recaps, pickups, drops, buys, sells, all that stuff that we can get out onto Twitter faster than we can get it on the podcast. Yes, we could do more here on the show in terms of explaining in detail how we get to a particular conclusion, but if you want it fast... If you're in a first-come, first-serve league, which is the vast majority of them, find me on social media at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Today also is a Brewski 150 update day. The B-150 had some tweaks this morning and also is now officially in the old-school bundle. That is a, a package of subscriptions at Sports Ethos. That includes the Wager Pass and the All Sport Fantasy Pass together. It's a couple bucks cheaper per month than the Ethos 360 plan, which had the B150 as of five days ago. Old School Bundle has it as of today. You can check that out over at sportsethos.com and make sure to find us in our Discord, the link of which you can find in this show's description. Today, again, we're breaking down the new Yahoo board, and um, the nice news there is that the top 15 or so, the changes were quite minimal, nominal even, the changes on the top 15. Um, The top remains Jokic, Doncic, Embiid, Shea, Tatum, I think, slid back up a little bit. Wasn't he right behind Halliburton before? Hair splitting 101, if we really care that much about those little baby tweaks at the top. Tatum, Halliburton, Steph. The top seven is basically unchanged. Giannis jumped in front of Kyrie, who I was still hoping would fall farther, but he remains at number nine. Uh, Lamelo at 10, still Durant, Dame, Anthony Davis, Booker, Sabonis, Anthony Edwards, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, Mikhail Bridges, JJJ, Desmond Bain. That's basically all the same. couple of players shifted one up or one down. But in my eyes, that's not enough for us to actually pause and and sort of deep dive whatever it is that's causing a one-slot shuffle. The first big jump in the latest board rearrange is Carl Anthony Towns, who leaps all the way back up to number 22 
after hanging out in the basically the end of the 20s, early 30s, remember at one board shuffle, it's like Yahoo forgot that he existed and they bumped him down to 39 and then immediately brought him back up into the late 20s, early 30s. That was like an that was a that was an oopsies moment for them. And now on this one, it almost feels like Yahoo is reacting to the fact that people continued to draft Towns ahead of where he was getting pre-ranked. You don't see this happen all the time, but this is a scenario where the Yahoo board was reacting to the environment around it as opposed to the other way around. A lot of times the environment is created by the Yahoo board, but there are a handful of guys. Trey Young was one of them earlier this year. Remember, he was ranked in the 20s. And nobody was waiting that long to get him. And so Yahoo was like, fine, we'll put him at 17, you sons of guns. Well, they've done it now with Cat as well. Thing is here, though, as much as I love Carl Anthony Towns, and he has an excellent fantasy profile, he was had a down season last year, although I, th- I think it's more important to look at the uh, first two months of the season, basically prior to his injury that knocked him out for basically the entire year. Uh, Towns' numbers over the first 20 games last year was 21 points, a couple of three-pointers, eight boards, which is, again, freakishly low. Five assists, that's nice for a big man. Only .8 steals and .7 blocks, uh, but good percentages, 50.5 from the field, 89 at the free throw line. Turnovers perhaps a little bit on the high side, but um, you'd sort of swallow that with the good assist number from your big man. That put him at rank spot number 25, and if you extrapolate that over an entire season, that is around that range, basically. So then, it brings us to the question of, what is Towns, then, with Rudy Gobert on the team? We're going to throw out the the end-of-the-season mulch when they were working him back into the lineup, and that was dragging his numbers down, but... In my opinion, it's impossible to throw out the first 20 games. And I get it. He and Gobert were not settled in yet. They're like the chemistry. I don't know that that's going to magically get better. But the chemistry wasn't very good uh, early in the season. And you hope that that type of stuff fixes itself. Thing is, for Towns, you can ignore the lower number of shots per game. Um, I know that Anthony Edwards is going to be taking a bunch of those, but they traded D'Angelo Russell and got a, you know, the captain of the boat, basically the driver, the limo driver. You know what? Let's let's well call Mike Conley the limo driver right now. He's just taking all these very fancy folks and he's getting them to the right spot. He's the perfect kind of point guard for this type of team. So the shots that Anthony Edwards might have taken, D'Angelo, that trade sort of gives back. I'm not worried about Towns' usage. He's still one of the premier offensive players on that team, and I still expect him to get 16-plus shots per game as opposed to the 14.8 he settled on last year. So expectations there for Towns. Uh, The shots probably tick back up a little bit to whatever it is, 15-16 range. And that's good because that'll bring his scoring back up from 20.8 to, I don't know if it gets back where it was the previous season, but perhaps 23 is within reach. 22, I would think, is very much within reach. Free throw number's been a good one for him. He'll hit some three-pointers because he's a very good outside shooting big man. High percentage out there. Percentages for him are going to be pretty good. The issue for Towns comes in rebounding and defense. Because the assists actually are not that far out of 
character for him. He had a couple of seasons where he was at four and a half, so it did, yeah, go up a little bit. Um, but, you know, four and a half to five range doesn't actually, it's not a big jump from previous fantasy years for Towns. The drop-off is the bigger fear because Rudy Gobert has shoved Cat to the starting power forward spot. And I know that they're going to have Towns playing as many of the backup center minutes as humanly possible, but they do still have Nas Reed on that team, and he also deserves playing time. Um, you know, they'll find it where they can find it. Even if we assume that Cat gets every backup center minute behind Gobert, that still means that some 18-odd uh, of Cat's minutes on the court are going to be a power forward. And there's just sort of no math you can do to math that away. Big men playing power forward put up poorer numbers. And I know someone's going to be like, Anthony Davis wants to play power forward. Yeah, that's a little bit of a different monster because they want him playing power forward typically next to someone who can bang with the big guy under the boards and allow AD to roam a little bit more, both on offense and on defense. So his probably isn't impacted quite as much as someone like Towns, who you are specifically playing with an interior big man now. Gobert is not going to space the floor. Gobert on defense is the last line of defense, which is, again, a situation where someone like Anthony Davis, he remains the last line of defense. So you're like, okay, will the blocks come down if he's playing the four? Probably not. Rebounds might, while we're on the Anthony Davis topic. And for Cat, the rebounds sort of had no choice but to go down. If he's not going to be playing full-time center minutes, and for many years he was at 35 to 38 minutes per game, that's just not a number they're going to try to get him to anymore. So that brings the rebounds down. Gobert brought the rebounds down. Eight is beatable, but I, like I don't think he gets the double digits. So the hope that Towns goes from number 25 early in the season last year to something magically better, I think is maybe a little bit unfounded. A little more usage maybe gets him to that 22 spot where he's being drafted, but there's just no room beyond that for him. And so Yahoo now, by bumping him up to this spot, has pretty much obliterated whatever value he might have had before. So kind of a sad trombone moment here for Towns, who has pushed himself so high that... And I'd say, is he a safe play? No! Towns was safe until he wasn't. He was one of those situations where you don't really want your big man playing every single ball game every single day. Uh, but Towns played every game for four or five years in a row, and then all of a sudden the wheels came off. He played in barely any games in 2019-2020. He missed 20-some-odd games the year after that. He did have a healthy 21-22, which, thank goodness, but then he was banged up again last year. He's been hurt, like, significantly three of the last four seasons now. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back 
to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Small adjustments between towns in the 30 slot, which again, if you wonder why I go by 30s, because that's how the Yahoo window arranges them, and, and that's kind of how we'll look at things. No massive adjustments through the next kind of small chunk of players taking you through, and I, maybe I should have been reading these because uh, that's what we did in the first part. Let's go ahead and go back, and for the folks that are listening only, uh, after Towns, Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, they're still 23-24. Freddie Van Vliet at 25. I think maybe he came back up a slot or two. Harden moves down one. Markinen, Siakam. I think Pascal went down a couple slots here. LeBron at 29, and Paul George has been at 30 for, his, frankly, as long as I can remember. 30s are not particularly shuffled either. Cade, DeJounte Murray, Bam Adebayo, Miles Turner, and Jalen Brunson. The front half of the 30s, then Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Darius Garland, Victor Wembanyama, and Evan Mobley get you through to pick 40. In fact, it kind of continues a little bit there. De'Aaron Fox, Kristaps Porzingis, and Jamal Murray, 41, 42, 43. Those guys are all around where you'd expect as well. Then you get into a couple more adjustments. Scotty Barnes bumped way up to number 44 on the latest board. And I'll say this, his initial preseason game is only going to make this, is only going to solidify this because he put up like 15, 7, and 4 in a quarter and a half of basketball. And there's a lot of stuff coming out on the internet about how he's a little bit of a basketball genius. Um, so I don't want to knock Scotty Barnes and knock anything about like what he might be able to do. All I want to knock is the fact that putting up well-rounded points, boards, and assists was never the issue for Barnes. He finished last year with 15 points, 7 boards, and 5 assists per ballgame. That's a pretty good kind of well-rounded trio in those numbers and 1.1 steals, and .8 blocks. The points were not a positive, but he doesn't shoot the three. His percentages were bad, and I'm going to assume that turnovers are probably going to get worse this year if he's really handling more of the point guard duties. Is there a path for him to get into the 40s this year? Yeah, I mean, there's this, there's that sort of magic of the unknown with him where if the percentages get better and if the usage goes up with Freddie Van Vliet out of town and Barnes... I would, I would say Dennis Schroeder is still the point guard, but Barnes is going to be running the offense for some chunk of time during these games. Yeah, things could get better. Could 15 points become 17? Could 6.5 rebounds become 7? Could 5 assists become 5.5? Yeah, I think you're looking at a bunch of incremental jumps for him because I, I don't think that he now is the guy that just sort of steps into everything vacated. Some's going to go to Schroeder. Some is going to go to Siakam. Some is going to... Everybody's going to get a little piece of the pie. And then Barnes might get a slightly bigger piece of the uh, vacated usage pie. <laughs> the vacated usage pie, ladies and gentlemen. Brought to you, brought to you here by Sports Ethos. Uh, but then the problem with him remains in the percentages. If he's really asked to do a bunch more, you don't usually see a big percentages jump 
with that. And then if he starts to add the three-pointer, that w potentially sends the field goal percent in the wrong direction. I just don't... I don't see the... I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it, because Barnes did shoot better the previous season, but his free throw percentage was worse. I just sort of don't see this massive flying leap happening. And then the problem is that by drafting him here, where Yahoo's put him on this latest board, number 44, you leave almost no room. Like, the big leap for him would get him to this spot. What's left to do? You know? If... If he was getting drafted at, like, 75, which is just a barely in front of where he was last year, and like, oh, well, like, field goal percent comes back to where it was, he gets past that. Yay, that would be a wonderful thing. But he's already getting drafted 40 slots ahead of where he finished last season. And if you're like, oh, Dan, he makes more sense in points leagues. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true by a little bit. Is that why he's getting pushed up the board? Is it the 8-cat? No, nah, not really. His turnovers are not that bad. For someone in the 80s, they were a little bit higher than average, but, like, not insane. This is a guy who is just being drafted on the assumption that a bunch of things are going to happen. And they might. That's always a possibility. But you guys know, if you've been listening to me for a long time, I don't like to draft based on what I need to happen. I like to draft based on something like a set floor, and then anything above that becomes gravy. Next name on the list of guys that moved around was DeAndre Ayton. This is the least surprising bump of perhaps anyone on the board. Uh, this is the first uh, shuffle for the Yahoo pre-rank sheet since the trade that uh, brought DeAndre, or DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton from Phoenix to Portland. Everybody's assuming he's going to get more to do there, and he probably will. He was at 13.5 shots per game last year in Phoenix uh, after 12 the season before that. He's already a double-double guy, 18 points, 10 boards. Um, the problem here, again, and I don't I don't really have a big issue with folks taking Aiton in the 40s. I think that that's a perfectly reasonable spot. He could get there, or he could end up just slightly behind it. My issue is that this dude doesn't block shots. He doesn't. And uh, he had a weird surge during the... Uh, the first COVID year where he was blocking one and a half shots per game. Nobody knew where the hell it came from. Every other season of his career so far, he's been around one per game. That's what he's averaging in traditional starters minutes. The things that we like is that the one season where Aiton was putting up bigger numbers was the season he was playing about two minutes more per game. That could very well happen in Portland if they're just going to sort of let him run free. Uh, you might see an extra shot in those two minutes per game, so that could get him closer to 20 points per game instead of 18. You'll probably see more rebounding by just being on the court a little bit longer. So an extra, I don't know what we want to say, he's getting about a rebound every three minutes, so maybe one extra rebound per ball game. Assists, turnovers, steals probably don't change much. Maybe blocks ticks up from 0.8.9 to like 1 or 1.1. So there's a lot of little things to like about this move for Aiton. Um, the downside, of course, is that he was at 56 the year before, so all of those incremental jumps push him likely into the 40s, which now is where he's getting drafted. So in my eyes, Aiden is a very safe play in the 40s because I don't think the bottom's going to fall out for him. 
And gone are the days of DeAndre being drafted in the 20s and 30s. So again, you can spend a fourth round pick on eight. And just know that this is not a center that's going to cover you in blocks. He's one that's going to give you a very nice boost in field goal percent without really hurting your free throw number. So there is a, an inherent value in that. But he's a little bit like a power-boosted Wendell Carter Jr. to some degree, who averaged 15-9 and nine last year with not many defensive stats uh, and okay percentages. Aiden is better in points, better in boards, better in field goal percent, a little better in free throw percent. Uh, but if you're looking for a similarly built fantasy play, Wendell Carter Jr. is probably that. Um, and just with, you know, like second, third round center type appeal as opposed to Aiden. And that's not my, me saying don't draft DeAndre Aiden. I'm just saying if that's the center you're looking for, more of like a low blocks center who doesn't hurt your percentages all that much, you can find those guys scattered throughout a little bit more. Uh, if, on the other hand, Aiden is a guy that you... You feel like you need to cover up some things after your first three rounds. Maybe you need a big field goal percent bump. You want to make sure you're still attacking free throw. That's a path to do it. As we continue our journey down the board, you got DeMar DeRozan. Jared Allen was moved up the last time around. OG, Zach Levine, who pushes into the 40s, I think, for the first time now. Jordan Poole got moved down back to 50 again, which uh, is closer it's closer to where I'd consider him. I didn't like taking Poole in the 40s. I thought we had priced him out a little bit there. Um, I was kind of hoping... You guys might remember me saying this early in the offseason. I was kind of hoping that people would be so down on Jordan Poole after last year that he wouldn't get the massive hype train bump, but he got it. He's gotten the massive hype train bump. The problem with Poole is that the floor can fall out for him. The turnovers and field goal percent could be disastrous this year in a massive, massive feature role. He might take 19 shots a ball game, and that would get him up into the like 25 points per game range, and he'll have more than three threes per game, and the assists probably tick up from four and a half into the fives. So you like that stuff. Um, steals and blocks are not going to be the thing that you're relying on with him, but the problem is that you don't want a guy who's who now becomes a possible punt field goal dude. Now, if his field goal percent ticks back up to where it was the previous year, which is more like 45 range, that's actually a huge deal for the kind of volume that he's going to be chucking up. You turn that from a punt number, like a full, you're going to have to build around this bad, bad, bad field goal percent to more of like a, okay, this is going to be rough, but I can cover that up with a center or two. So that's a big deal for Jordan Poole. Do his percentages go back to 45 and 90-something, or do they stay at 43 and 87? It's a huge difference for him, especially, again, when you consider the volume he's likely going to be getting in Washington. You also have the fear that if the Wizards do want to, and I, I think even with Poole on the floor, they're going to be losing ball games. so I don't know that they're going to need to shut him down, and he played in all 82 games last year, so that was a good sign for him. We all are aware that the Wizards' situation could get ugly at the end of the season. It's a distinct possibility. Um, the other side of the Jordan Poole coin is that I'm not like, I don't want to say that I'm talking, I, I don't hate the selection here, because if the percentages go back to 45, 92, and change on the higher volume, then you're looking at maybe even an additional point 26 points, something like that, could be within reach, as opposed to more like 24, 25. 
26 points, five assists, five plus assists possibly. I mean, that's a pretty good starting point. And an extra two or three minutes per game probably gets him closer to one steal instead of .8. So there are all these little things that could work in his favor. We know the usage is working in his favor. The problem is that we just we need to be sure that it's, the bottom isn't going to fall out in field goal percent and turnovers. Because you could see three and a half turnovers per game and massive volume 43% from the field or worse possibly. And uh, then you're looking, you're staring down the barrel of a team build that maybe you didn't intend to have when you got to your fifth round pick. But if everything clicks, it would be a lot of fun. You know, the, the 45-93 splits, the, the free throw, I mean, if he's taking six free throws a game at 93%, that becomes a really big positive for him. That's like guys at the top of the board level positive. That's uh, you know, that's uh, Kevin Durant, seven free throws at 92%. That's huge. That's a colossal power boost. So there's a little bit of a question mark, and that's the thing. Do you take the shot on it? I would have loved to take the shot on this after 60. In the 40s, I won't think I was taking the shot on it. Now at 50, <sighs> you could sucker me in in certain builds. But if I'm really trying to attack all nine categories, I probably am not going for it at pick 50. A big faller in the most recent board is uh, old man squad longtime member Nico Vucevic. Uh, or is that Vucevic? I think it might be Vucevic. Well, we'll call him just Vuce here for now. Uh, Vuce has fallen to a pre-rank of 51. Um, and maybe it was the, the player battle that Josh and I did on his show last week. I don't know. I guess I lost that one. Um, this is a very low number for Vooch and I get it. He's not at all exciting. I, I can't sell you on excitement factor, but the thing about Vooch is that he's reliable. He's extremely durable. And now you're getting him at a very, very affordable price. And I, I just, like, his worst stretch last year came over the final two months, and he was still right around top 50. That was the worst stretch. And the reason it was bad was not because he stopped doing everything. It was because he didn't block any shots. He didn't block a damn shot the last two months of the season. One of the things that Josh and I talked about uh, over on his podcast, and this was this was fun. He and I were able to argue about Vooch a little bit um, that I, I sort of wasn't prepared for was him talking about how Vooch became less involved in the offense down the stretch. That's true. Over the last month to two months, Vooch was taking more like 14 shots per game or even slightly less than that. But his efficiency actually continued to go up. His number of three-pointers attempted went down. He was still at a double-double. The problem over that stretch for Vooch was that he blocked point three shots per game, which I think we can fairly safely assume is not going to be a thing that sticks with him. Even .7 was already on the super low side last year, and the reason it was dragged down was because of that last month and a half of basketball where he just stopped blocking anybody. It's not really all that clear why it happened, and over his entire career, he's been totally fine. His... Uh, Season pre-trade in Orlando, he was only blocking .6 shots per game because his heart just sort of wasn't in it there. And then he got traded, and it went back up to .8. Vooch is 
this uh, like I can't even I can't picture a safer play in the 50s than Vooch right now. I I equal parts know how boring it is and also love it. Because you're almost guaranteed to get 17-ish points, 10 to 11 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.4 combined steals and blocks, or maybe even a tiny bit better. And you hope that if the steals and blocks go up a little bit, does that, is the field goal percent, does that come down a little bit? There's just like almost no way he's worse than 50. That's the magic here. Vooch at 51, you're drafting him at his floor. I mean, like... He could play with a hand tied behind his back and he'd still be top 60. So this is one of those things where I like to talk about, and then folks watching me on YouTube, I can like show these things up in the air uh, and and just follow my hands. You're drafting a player. You, you sort of picture these bars of like, where do they go? What's the bottom point and what's the top point? And for Vooch, the per-game top point is 20-something. It's probably not going to happen. That's the best-case scenario. If DeMar gets moved, he slots into a little bit more stuff, blah, blah, blah. They just signed him to an extension, so they're not going to just, like, pull the plug on him. And trading him is not going to be that easy, and I don't think they even can until December. So if you're worried about that stuff, put it out of your mind. So you're thinking, what's the worst-case scenario? Worst-case scenario for a guy like Vooch is around 60. That's the worst Outside of a catastrophic injury. Forget that for a minute, because that could happen to anybody. Vooch has been pretty damn durable over the last three, four seasons. Uh, it seems like he's figured out a nice, happy place in terms of staying on the court. And what's the best case scenario? We already talked about it. If everything fell into the right spot, 20-something. Unlikely, very unlikely, but possible. That's where he was last year, uh, and a lot of that was because his shot blocking, again, fell off towards the end, but he was still in the 30s, over the last month, and over the there was like a lull in, I think it was February. That was the weird lull for him. Which, by the way, happens to a lot of guys in the league that fall into kind of the doldrums, the dog days of an NBA season. Blocks are not going to be .3. Even if they're tapering off from one, you're not going to see them fall to .3. He's a center. He's just going to fall into a block every now and again. Point six is likely your absolute lowest on that one. Steals, fine. Again, dude's on the court for 30 minutes. They, these guys just sort of end up with them. Is it going to be a big number? Probably not. What's the likely situation for Vooch? 30s, 40s. And hopefully durable. Listen, look, I'm not going to tell you that this is going to be the most exciting thing in the world, but it is also worth reminding you guys that... Vooch, last year, by totals, was number 10, a first-rounder. Number 10, a first-rounder. I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> Actually, I think he was higher than that. Yeah, he was higher than that. I have a weird stat category that I was using to analyze yesterday just to see what it would look like. Number 5, by totals, last year. I was looking at usage. That's what was screwing up the numbers a little bit. Number five. With a per-game rank in the late 20s. It's too much of a layup to not do it. 
Let's go a little bit farther down the board. You got Chet at 52. I think he had already been dropped in the last one. Ingram, Kessler, Julius Randle down a couple of slots, but I still don't really much care for him there. Claxton, who's just sliding along in the 50s, but will probably beat that. Maxi, Shangun, Bradley Beal, and Zion. That's your top 60. Uh, let's try to get through this next 30 chunk, and then we'll take a couple questions from the chat room before uh, hitting putting a bow on this episode. Uh, the front end of the 60s didn't change very much. Tyler Hero is someone that moved up the board, though. So you got Jalen Williams, then Josh Giddy, Paolo Boncaro, Devin Vassell, Cam Johnson, and then Tyler Hero, who slides up to number 66. This was, to no one's surprise, because they didn't make a big trade that sent him somewhere else. People are now feeling comfortable with Hero, which to me is the flip of what this thing should have been. Because we saw Hero last year get off to a robust start and then taper off as we kind of all assumed he would because he was shooting way the hell over his head. And he ended up at number 76. But what does everybody think is about to magically happen to him? He played 35 minutes a game last year. Averaged 20 points, 5.5 boards, 4 assists. His role isn't about to change all that much. So do people think he's going to just get a lot better at field goal percent? I personally do not. 66, I mean, it's fine, but it's not a it's not a spot where you're like, this guy's going to blow past what I'm getting out of him here. Uh, Anthony Simons moves up into the, into the late 60s. It's not that big of a jump. He was, I think, early 70s on the last board, so it's not a, uh, like, a, an adjust everything kind of deal. But with every four slots, Yahoo moves him up the board, we lose just a little bit of that possibility of upside, which for Simons, I thought was decent. Um, you know, when, when Dame was out for those three weeks last year, he did settle around top 50 valuation. Uh, problem is that this isn't just a Dame is out scenario. This is a Dame is out. Scoot is in. Brogdon is possibly in. Aiton replaces Nurk. We don't know exactly how that's going to make things. Uh, I, my guess is that it doesn't change at all that much, but Brogdon and Scoot will take some of what Simons took from the Dame absence last year. So probably not going to get all the way to top 50. And now the fact that he's going in the 60s means that whatever that wiggle room was, you're kind of shaving it off. I don't hate the pick here. I think Simons has a very good shot to be in that 80, somewhere 65 to 80 range. Um, but you're drafting him towards the front end of where you'd like to take him. And so that's, you know, not my favorite thing to do. Chris Paul back down three or four slots. Not a really big change there, but it does increase the odds of us ending up with him on our team a thousand times out of a thousand. Uh, Brooke Lopez at 70, then Jeremy Grant, Clint Capella, Derry Rozier, Jalen Green, Tyus Jones, Franz Wagner, uh, Jakob Pertl, Marcus Smart, who I think, did he get into the 70s on the last board? I honestly can't remember. Chris Middleton, who's falling again. I still don't want anything to do with him. Scares the crap out of me. Michael Porter Jr. gets you to 80. Derek White falling all the way to number 81. So there's a very large fear that Drew Holiday's arrival in Boston is going to completely ruin Derek White. And it's not the craziest idea in the world. Um, but I do also think that White is going to have some value. Uh, because remember, Marcus Smart went out. And Christoph Porzingis, Al Horford is still there. But Grant Williams is also out. 
So it's not like the minutes available shifted all that much. Remember, down the stretch last year, Derek White was a top 60 play for Boston. I guess he was right on 60 in about 30 minutes per ball game. Um, the Celtics are not super deep, at least with the guys that they definitely want to get minutes to. I don't see a reason why White can't still get to like 27, 28 minutes per ball game. Because you're going to have Drew, you can play White and Holiday in the backcourt and go Brown and Tatum as your small and power forward with Porzingis or Horford at the big man spot. If you go small, if you go bigger and play Horford and Porzingis together, then yeah, White's probably not out there. But if you're just thinking about like how many minutes are going to each player at each spot, Derek White getting 25 to 30 minutes is not at all insane, even with Holiday coming to town. Because remember, Marcus Smart's minutes opened up, and everybody was like, oh, Derek White's going to get all of those. But he was already getting 30 minutes per game. And Malcolm Brogdon was still around, mind you. So I, I don't think that Derek White falls off a cliff quite the way that the reaction to him suggests he might. And now getting him in the 80s is kind of okay. I'd still prefer he fall a little farther. This still suggests that people are like, yeah, but he's still going to play, and that's the proper valuation on him. Uh, but if 60 is the target number for him in terms of like, hey, if things break the right way, this is where he could end up, you're, again, not leaving a ton of wiggle space. But there's a lot to like about Derek White. He's best shot-blocking guard in the NBA, um, and he gives you a little bit of a whole bunch of stuff, which you know I like. Robert Williams at 82, nah, I'm not doing that. He's he's a backup in Portland, and yeah, he'll get to play some minutes, but that's a dangerous backup play there. McCollum at 83, Markel Fultz, Tobias Harris, Kyle Kuzma, Jalen Duran uh, slides up with Mark Williams into the late 80s. Draymond Green at 89, Buddy Heald at 90. Let's go maybe like 10 more slots. Then you got Wiggins, Trey Jones, Miles Bridges, John Morant, Clay Thompson, who's back now into the 90s. Uh, we'll see where he actually gets drafted. D'Angelo Russell, who I think was past 100. Did he get moved back up a little bit? Mitchell Robinson back up to 97. Austin Reeves continuing to tumble. He's now at 98. And now suddenly I'm okay with an Austin Reeves draft pick in this range. I didn't like when people were taking him in the 70s. That priced him out in a lot of ways. Now he's kind of interesting again. Yusuf Nurkic slides all the way up to number 99. This is, again, a reaction to the trade that gives him a little bit kind of like a new lease on life. And uh, John Collins remains firmly at number 100. And we're not going to talk too much about what's going on beyond that, Mark. Those names bounce around a lot, although I'll admit they didn't change all that much on this particular redo. Uh, and the reason we're not going to talk about them all that much is because I believe later this week we are now finally going to get into our Favorite plays beyond 100, also known in the lexicon as sleepers. I hate that term, but that's basically what they are. Uh, and that's coming up here in the next few shows, either later this week or next week. We'll also have the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad probably next week as well. And coming up this week, we're going to start talking to all, I don't know if we're going to have time to do all, but many of the analysts from the uh, annual Fantasy NBA Today industry mock draft that was a fun one. Dan Titus, Josh Lloyd, Jonas Nader, Matt Smith, Dan Palio, uh, Thunder Dan, Thunder Dan, Alex Rickling, myself, Joe Orico, Brew, uh, Jesse Severe, Keith Cork, and Andre. 
my good buddy, you guys know Andre. He is, I, I wanted to pause and like say a bunch of nice things about him, but I feel like I've done that on almost every show. Uh, reminder again, everyone, as I throw the, uh, the Yahoo board out of the picture here, please, dear Lord, find me on social media at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. We are going to be doing so much stuff on social media this year. If you miss it, you will strongly regret it. We're going to do some questions here from the YouTube chat room, so if you have one, you can flip it in there as well. But I also want to once again remind everybody that the Brewski 150 got an update today, and it is again in the old-school bundle. I should also mention that projections, Brewski's projections, are in the Fantasy Pass now. So you can actually just get a Fantasy Pass NBA or All Sport and have access to projections. G. Cates, I keep wondering... We are underrating Cats scoring upside this season, given the low relative usage rates of everyone else on the roster. Where do you see him settling in points per game? Uh, 22-ish, I think, is where I see Cat this year. I, I just... Um, maybe 22 and a half, 23 at the absolute most. This is now Anthony Edwards' team. Desmond Ho asks, is this points or categories? I talk mostly in categories. Um... Almost everything I talk about is category format. We'll try to do a points show with Keston at some point here soon. Um, that might be like a bonus weekend type of thing. Who would you target with picks two and three if you were punting points? Oh, that's an interesting question. All right, let's uh, let's go back to the second round of a draft. Um, punting points, guys. Demonis Sabonis is intriguing because he'll probably be uh, in the in the high teens, which is sort of low for that range. Uh, JJJ is a possibility if you're trying to cover up some of the other big man stuff. Um, Jimmy Butler, believe it or not, is not a super high-scoring basketball player. Uh, he had to score 23 last year, but they, you know, like if they had their druthers in Miami, he'd be closer to 20. James Harden was at 21. Interestingly, not a terrible punt points selection. It doesn't feel normal, but that is actually the truth. Um, Freddie Van Vliet is not a terrible choice in that range either. Or you just take the player you love because a lot of the punt points stuff happens uh, either with the dude you took in the first round or later on. We start to target some of the big men who don't score as much, guys like Draymond Green, but give you all these other stuff. Albert says, how do you factor in the possible erosion and efficiency for guys like Desmond Bain or Tyrese Maxey if Harden leaves when they are put into a higher usage role with the defense keying in on them more? Um, we've seen guys actually, I, I think that we sometimes overblow the like guy does more usage or efficiency suffers things. Some guys handle it fine and other guys don't. Like you think about uh, Donovan Mitchell just took a spike last year and did more at the same time. Um Lots of guys have seen that I'll do more and my efficiencies. I think Brandon Ingram had that when he went to New Orleans. He did more and his efficiency went up. So I don't worry about it too much. Typically, usage is value. I think we we talk ourselves into knots about how, oh, well, you know, efficiency spike, big efficiency spike. Like a, I feel like Devin Booker is the example of that on the other way. Yeah, everybody kind of agrees he's going to get to do less, but... Will is efficient. Dude, his efficiency was already about as high as it's going to get. He's a very efficient basketball player. Um, so I'm not super worried about that because 
Desmond Bain is really good, as is Tyrese Maxey, and still there is Joel Embiid on that team. So plenty of guys pulling it away, uh, or plenty of guys, or uh, Embiid, I should say, opening things up on the Maxey side. And then with Desmond Bain, the regular season, man, nobody keys in on anybody. <laughs> first, first couple of games, maybe. Anyway, asking this because Terry Rozier sucked last year with LaMelo Ball out. Yeah, so the problem there is that Rozier uh, needed a point guard getting him the basketball. Um, and I don't think we we really see that because uh, the Grizzlies, Jaw's not a traditional point guard. Um, Philadelphia will just run it through Embiid. He'll be the guy that distributes. So I'm not as worried about that as uh, as the Terry Rozier thing. That they, he just got put into a terrible spot, and uh, it's a good. It is a good question. And he says, "Great question. It is a good question." But I'm not as worried about those guys. Kenneth says, aside from doing mock drafts, how do you prepare mentally knowing your draft order 30 minutes before the draft begins? <laughs> Rough, man. I mean, you could try to squeeze in a mock draft during that window, but hopefully you've, we, you, we have all done enough here over these months to just say, okay, well, if I know my draft slot, I generally know the guys that are going to be coming to me in this area, particularly early on, and then beyond that, you just, you know, you don't change your strategy all that much. You just take your guys three, four picks in either direction, basically. Uh, let's see here. JP, hi, all. Another great show. Thanks. Who's going to be the main man in Orlando this season? It's going to be Paolo, uh, and you hope that he fixes his efficiency stuff. Dembird says, it's plausible that Vooch has hit the point of his career where the defense falls off a cliff and the blocks don't come back. They'll, they'll come back from point three. They might not come back from point seven, uh, but they'll come back from point three. Chris says, taking preseason with a grain of salt, Chris Dunn looked pretty good last night. I love Chris Dunn as a uh, fantasy as a fantasy asset. He's always when, Every time he's given minutes, he produces. It's going to be rough. I mean, is he better for what Utah tries to do night to night than Colin Sexton at the point guard spot? Probably. But do they give him 25 minutes? Uh, I doubt it somehow. Yeah, Denbird's noting that, like, the Hornets were terrible, so Rozier was also terrible. Um, let me try to phrase this in a way that the folks not watching. Uh, Denbird says, it feels like the answer to the efficiency question is key to the other players around them. Yeah, very much so. So Memphis is a good team. They're going to run. they got other guys that can do stuff, even if they're not, like, the gravity of a John Morant. Same, same story with Philadelphia, so I'm just I'm not as, as concerned about that. If you have IL Plus, where would you draft Jaw and Miles? Is there any player notable to draft for IL Plus? Yeah, LeBron is a game-time decision every single game all year long, so he's a guy that you can basically just hold in your IL Plus on days when he's not playing and then drop him into your roster on the days that he is. Um, it does use up roster moves, though. That's the problem with that one. But he's it's like a little bit cheaty because you can get extra games on a healthy roster, uh, but LeBron is kind of the guy that you can pull in and out of that slot. As far as jaw, head-to-head, I would take him probably in the 80s. Roto, I'm not drafting him at all. Miles Bridges, I'm not really drafting in either format, because I just don't want to... Even if he's a win, I just think we can win fantasy without it. Keith says, would it be more appropriate to punt a category like field goal percent in a league with more scoring categories? My league adds free throw made, field goal made, O-Reebs, and removes turnovers. It's 11 categories. Yes, 
And the reason is that the super high volume free throw and field goal guys, the chuckers, are generally bad at field goal percent. But the beauty there is you get better at two categories and get worse at one. So it's a positive valuation move there to not really care about field goal percent in a volume-heavy league like that. I see they added O-Reebs to try to give big men like sort of one foot back in this thing, but you're going to be in a pretty guard-heavy build would be my guess, Keith. So I think you can probably punt field goal percent and get away with it. And the last question of the day before we shut her down, and I will probably try to do a mock a little bit later. I have the first pick, and the second and third round is filled with injury-prone guys like Kawhi, Butler, Harden. My league is not competitive, and I'm likely to make the playoffs. Should I draft them? So I would say if your league is less competitive, you can avoid those guys. If your league is super competitive, you might need to take a shot on an injury-prone guy staying healthy because there's just not that many ways to get over the better competition. Um, so I would say you could veer into the guys in that range that are more likely to stay on the court. Um, and plus you likely have Nikola Jokic, so you just kind of don't want to mess it up too much. Oh, here, quickly, uh, one last question slipped in. Is Jordan Clarkson out of the rotation? No, he's very much in the rotation. They paid him a, a bunch of money to stay there. He'll play, I don't I mean, he's a punt field goal guy exclusively, pretty much, but he'll play. Don't worry about that. Neil's asking what the hell's going on at ESPN. Yeah, their rankings are all over the board. The ESPN has completely stopped caring about fantasy basketball, and I really hope that that doesn't mean that fantasy basketball dies for them, but they're putting no effort into it whatsoever. My voice is tired, and I want to save some for a mock draft later today. Thank you, everybody. Nice crowd in for this one as we are now 15 days from the start of the NBA season. Again, like, rate, subscribe. I forgot to yell that at you earlier in the show, but definitely do follow me on social at Dan Vespers. Have a great a uh, few hours, I think, until we talk to you a little bit later here on this lovely Monday morning. Dan Vespers out.